This is the Right to Survive podcast, your topographical map to the ever-changing literary landscape. This is your host, Dan Arndt, fiction author and MFA student, bringing you interviews, news, and information from across the world of writing. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get the show going. Welcome, you wonderful writers and literary explorers, to the Right to Survive podcast. This is Dan. And this is Bridget. We want to remind you that it is by visibility week, so we can see you, you can see us, and most importantly, even if Celia is not here, we can see her. We can we all, all can see her. her. <laughs> so thank you again for listening. Please remember that you can follow us on Twitter at, at Writing Survivor or on Facebook at Right to Survive Podcast, and check out our website com. You can follow our Instagram at right to survive pod if you want to. We get pictures there. And uh, we also have a couple of ways you can support us financially. Uh, first of all, you can listen to our episodes on Radio Public, uh, which is a really great resource. It um, puts ads um, into the podcasts so that um, we don't have to. And so there's a little bit of revenue generated there just from listening. Um, and you can also become a patron on Patreon. Um, our current goal is just six patrons at the $1 a month level, which would be enough to cover the basic costs, uh, the basic hosting costs for Spreaker. Which, uh, if we do so, we will be getting a special Q&A episode out with lots of questions submitted by those new patrons, as well as a few, you know, listeners in general. And those patrons will also receive personalized shout-outs, which normally the $1 donation tier does not have, but we will shout-out to you. And uh, you also will have to uh, be able to request a book, story, poem to be read, reviewed, or discussed in that same Patreon patron episode. Again, something that's a bit normally a higher tier reward, but is something that we're offering as a special promotion. And of course, you can donate more than a dollar per month uh, and behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as uh, special goodies and things we're, that we are currently working on getting we wanted to be able to do something real special for our first few patrons so you can also donate if you can't necessarily do monthly we understand you also welcome to find us on ko-fi and send us a couple bucks that way well let's get into it yeah well first of all uh happy fall happy fall happy equinox Uh, yeah it's uh you know go balance an egg and it's really a fun balance an egg uh, oh yeah i've never done the ever done that no what's that yeah, um, on equinoxes, uh, you can like balance an egg on the table, and it won't like, yeah, because of the way that like the the Earth is with with things. Uh-huh. It's kind of a, one of those like old wives' tale things, but uh, yeah, it's like my dad always liked to do it. It's a very dad thing to talk about and do with your kids on. Wild. <laughs> so how you been since we last talked? Um, I've been busy. Um, I started a new job this week. Um, which is very exciting. Thank you. Um, finally, the job hunt is over. Um, so that's been dominating my life for the past week, but um, it's going really well, and I'm very excited about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to give me a lot more, a lot less stress in my life, which will hopefully translate to more writing time for me. So, yeah. 
you're still working with the university, I right? I am. I'm still with IU, but instead of um, working at Slavica Publishers, I've talked about that a little bit, um, I'm now at the um, Hutton Honors College, which is a really cool department at IU that offers really cool honors classes and things like that, um, and lots of really cool opportunities for uh, high-achieving students. So it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so far, it's been really chill, so. Yeah, no, it sounds like a really cool gig, especially, uh, you know, what if you want to work on your writing or pick up internships or something uh -huh. online, you can work on, you have some time to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of tied to my desk. I have my own office and everything, but I'm kind of tied to my desk uh, because I have to be able to be there to answer the phones or greet anybody who might wander in. So yeah. they're not having me get up and do a bunch of random busy work just for the sake of having something to pay me for, like a lot of jobs I've had tend to do, they're like, oh yeah, you know, when it's boring, maybe you can work on your, work on an art project or something, or read a, bring a book to read. And I'm like, am I going to get in trouble? Like, are you tricking me? This sounds like a trap. <laughs> but it's good. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it felt when I started being a GTA. Like, it's like, oh, I, I'm, I, you're letting me make choices. <laughs> what do you mean? You're I not monitoring my every move. I can call in sick and you don't, like, get mad at me? This is... What? What? But yeah, that's been great. How have you been since we last talked, Dan? This is your... Is this your last year in your MFA program? Second to last. Second to last. Okay. I've got one more. Yeah, I presented at a conference on Saturday. Ooh. Um, well, I actually... I, yeah, I presented at a conference. I presented a uh, research linguistics paper on Shakespeare and... Um, as well, I did, read at a open mic on s s Friday night. Um, I read actually, I read poetry for once. Wow! Just some poetry I'd kind of knocked together, and it went really well. I was really surprised uh, that people reacted so well to it, and um, it was kind of emboldening to do that. That's great. And I was really nervous. So yeah, I'm obviously still in the swing of things, but the weekend was kind of interesting, creatively and academically. Yeah. Um, what was your paper so, on? Yeah. It was comparing the speech and how Shakespeare used their language and the words they used and the way they spoke um, have an effect on his audience and uh, instill different kinds of fear in them. Mm -hmm. So it was a really it was a really fun paper to work on. I, I wrote it last semester and then I was able to present it and um, it went really well. Presented with another Shakespeare person, we got to geek out together. Very awesome. Um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, before we get to our discussion for this week, I want to say we have it. We, uh, our guest this week is going to be, uh, Courtney Worley, friend of mine, an ex teacher of mine who has transitioned from writing a romance under a pen name to writing more fantasy. Interestingly, with, with her, we talk a lot about her experience being a self published writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, she is a mom, she works a full job, and uh, she'll talk about the interview, the way she decided to to get into self-publishing instead of, you know, getting that grind to be traditionally published. Awesome. Because we both looked at it and know people who've done it. And, uh, you know, you you we both kind of worked in publishing adjacent things. Mm -hmm. um, and we've even read some things that are self-published through Amazon or otherwise. I've definitely considered it as like a future possibility. I've I don't have anything 
that I've worked on so far that is like where I would consider like even close to being ready to think of, to think about the publishing part of it. I'm I, most of my projects. I'm still in the like drafting part of it, so I haven't thought seriously about how to publish my work yet because it just mm-hmm. I'm not ready for none of my stuff's there yet. Um, but I've definitely considered it as a possibility, and I know a lot of people have had success with it. Um, but it's hard to have success with it, I think, because uh, there's a lot of I mean, anyone can do it, but there's still a ton of work that goes into it. Yeah. And, you know, reading electronically has gotten more popular. It actually hasn't allowed for that to um, proliferate easier. Courtney was, her, you know, one of her, her, her like, debut stuff made it to, like, the top. Mm-hmm. And statistically, you know, published the books coming out of the big five traditional publishers are only really accounting for about... 15, 16% of the ebooks that are on the bestseller lists on Amazon. Um, yeah, and that, that number, like, simultaneously, like, s- surprised me, but then also when I thought about it for more than, like, a minute, really didn't surprise me. Because yeah. when you think about it, like, with the, if you're publishing through the Big Five or any traditional publishing company, it's gonna, it's a, it's probably a much slower process, I would think, than, mm-hmm putting your book up on Amazon is just depends of course, but you know, generally and then actual and doing all the marketing depending on like how much of that actually gets done. Um, Cause it can vary depending on your contract, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, and then also it's a pretty limited number of people actually getting published by traditional publishers because there is that sort of, uh, almost vetting process or gatekeeping, if you wanted to think about it that way, where you're sending your manuscripts out, you're sending your queries out, and a m- very small percentage of those are ever actually going to get looked at by an editor, much less an agent. Yeah, well, and and I mean, just think about sort of the way that those publishers really market their books. And honestly, just thinking of myself, how I consume books that are coming from those publishers, mm-hmm. um, you know, nine times out of ten, I'm probably going to try to seek out the hard copy of it, whether it's ordered from Amazon or picked up at a local bookstore, um, ordered from ordered from uh, you know a books or, or something. You know, I try to avoid Amazon for my book purchases now because they're evil. They're evil. Um, <laughs> we've discussed that. When, and then, but with self publishing, you're it's much easier, much more common to find books that are only available electronically. Yeah. No. True. Because there's not that added. I mean, making an ebook is a whole process in and of itself um, that takes a little bit of expertise to do it well um, and make it, you know, a really functional uh, file. But it there isn't that cost of printing um, that you get with traditional books, and so it's a lot easier for people who are self-publishing and can afford to do a hard copy run. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can. There can be an infinite amount of copies of an ebook out there because there's no cost associated with. It. Yeah, well, and totally, and I think that the 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 self publishing revolution, such as it is, um, happened a couple of years ago, um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's. I will say it's not quite as much of a revolution as it once was, simply because the think pieces and scare quotes and like big stuff coming out of like publishers weekly and literary magazines and stuff was like print is dead dead, physical reading is dead everything's electronic no one looks at a 
paper anymore. That, well, that's true for newspapers. Yes, uh, and magazines. And magazines. And it's like, getting that way. Yeah. Well, nobody reads magazines. True. Um, like general topic magazines. Like that's why literary magazines, they're struggling, but there's niche enough. They kind of can sustain a little bit or it, to a certain extent. And like magazine mag- can charge a little more money for yeah. their content as well. Yeah. But like magazine magazines, like the full general idea magazines are a lot harder to work. Um, yes. Time Especially just, on a subscription model. Yeah. Uh, I mean, time just got bought by, uh, it was bought by, one of the Microsoft guys, I think. Um, yeah, like, I mean, the New York, I mean, they basically have to lean more into niches. Like, the New Yorkers basically become an art thing now because right. it's just like writers are reading it, essentially. It's a glorified literary magazine, I'd say. Um, but yeah, but- it was always interesting to me to hear that all that, you can see it in certain areas, but in publishing and books, um, I don't know, this might just be me. Um, I have nothing against ebooks. I think it's a great piece of technology and very convenient but for me personally i prefer to read physical books for work and then you know i'm on my phone or i'm um i mean i do do a lot of reading on my screen if i'm reading fan fiction i guess that's a big amount of my reading at work on social media on my phone playing games or whatever writing um i'm spending a large amount of my day looking at a screen i think that is the case for most people these days, I would say, at least most people around our age, for sure. Um, and so if I'm wanting to sit down with a book, for me, that's a way that I can get away from a screen for a while and sort of rest my eyes a bit. Um, it kind of gives me a bit of a headache to read for too long on a screen. Um, but I think they're really good for like traveling and things like that. Yeah. And, well, but and for me, that means I don't really tend to read a lot of self-published books because I'm not browsing through a Kindle or whatever, being like, oh, that's only $3. I'll pick that up. Yeah. Um, I tend to just go to bookstores and grab my books instead or go to the library. Most electronic books I read nowadays tend to come on my phone, although I still use my Nook because I'm weird and old. And I've I can never got, get my Nook to work. I just never got a new up. I just think I've never got a new one. I'm sure if I got like a fire, maybe, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm going to get a tablet, I'm going to get a real tablet, you know, at this point. Yeah, well, it's just if you look at a fo- – phones can do tablet things now. They couldn't yeah. They couldn't in the past. So yeah. I, I basically can read on my phone. But the, the trends have shifted and really uh, electronic books are making a comeback. Bookstores are making a comeback. People are reading more. People like owning physical things because there's not a lot of physical stuff we can own anymore, especially entertainment-wise. Yeah, there's no DRM on a – print book yeah so like you buy that and it's just yours yeah and i don't know the the it's it the books online are cheaper but you almost feel like when you buy a physical book like out out there you feel like you're giving the author more money yes um which is to some extent true simply yeah to to an extent i mean they make a smaller they make a smaller proportion like a an author might get five to ten percent versus like a forty percent from like an indie author would get from an ebook. Right. But, well, they're, and again, less cost associated yeah. um, with the production because when you buy a print book by one of the big five or any traditional publisher, a portion of that's going to the author, um, hopefully. Um, so, you know, con- some contracts are different, costs, things like that. Um, a bit goes to the bookstore if you're buying it from a bookstore, um, which is why, you know, I mean, you go into a bookstore and you look at a book and you're like, wow, $30, that's so much. But really, it is not that much if you really think about what goes into creating a book 
Um, it's just our expectations have been changed because of things like Amazon, things like really cheap eBooks, um, being able to order things at a dis- at such a discount online. Uh, we think that's the norm when really that's a markdown. But I, but then five to ten percent of that in book tours like they used to. Uh, mm-hmm. Those you're going to be a lot of times running on your own, whether you're traditionally published or self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely are if you're self-published, unless yeah. you go ahead and drop the money for a marketing person. Yeah. Well, but you will get marketing from a, if you're traditionally published, and generally, yeah. it really depends. Like but, the big five, probably because yeah. they have the money to do it. I worked at a small press, and honestly, like we did what public we did what publicity we could um, as far as putting things in newsletters and well, the, uh, the, occasionally sending out review copies. But we were you'll we're have not, some you'll have somebody if nothing else if you're with yeah. a publisher you'll have at least like a social media person you can coordinate with to boost yeah, your posts, presumably. that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I'm sure it's different yeah. for every small press, but we did kind of yeah. the minimum because we're a skeleton crew and yeah. we couldn't do a and, lot. And, oh, and you were more academic anyway. No one's publishing through Slavica to make their money. Right. No, that's true. Um, but yeah, but, you know, but so a five to 10, you probably have a high, the five to 10% on a much higher profit margin book versus 40% on a book that's usually going to be between... 99 cents and four dollars yeah uh sometimes 99 cents but that's uh that price that used to be the standard has kind of gone up which is nice in some ways it is nice (laughs) yeah now i can look at a 99 cent book and be like "Mm, probably that's worth 99 cents you know Mm -hmm. like little more i don't know i'm glad that they're actually pricing themselves up a bit because i feel like that is showing like i believe in my product that little bit more and you know, I'm confident that this is worth this money. Yeah. You know, some of the stuff that Publishers Weekly found, they were looking at the publishing trend stuff. There's some really interesting stuff about how the, there's a really good proportion, big proportion of self-publishing in genre, mm-hmm. um, especially romance, sci-fi, and horror. Although yeah. there is a basically a good representation of self-publishing in all the genres on Amazon. Series tend to work better than standalones. Uh, mm-hmm. you'll hear when I talk to, uh, Courtney, she, uh, has already announced and is basically set up that all, like all of her books have been series and they've been announced as series, um, to keep that, get that trend going. Um, well, there's one nice thing about doing a series as an ebook, I would think, and this is sort of just, you know, that you have a little bit more of a guarantee that, you know, you're going to get the whole series and that it, when you can just publish it yourself and not worry about like, oh no, my first book sold bad. So now my contract. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I want to, I'm trying to nail down one of my cohort in the fiction program here, Lindsay, who is a traditionally published fantasy author and had to sell her, the sequel to her first book. Um, mm-hmm. She said, you know, she's told me it's, wow, it's not, guaranteed it has a good chance that usually get picked up but it was up in the air um as opposed to if you were self-publishing like courtney's you can say i'm doing three so she like released the first one in her new series in her fantasy series as ca worley uh this month and she's releasing the second book next month and then the third mm-hmm. book in january so um some more sort of a serial kind of thing yeah, well yeah so, so um, you can get them out at a different at a at a, at a at a at whatever speed you want them to and you know you you have yeah you might have a better guarantee um you uh yeah you really have a lot you have complete control of how 
your product is put out which there, is a blessing as a curse blessing and yeah, a curse. blessing and a curse if you are not good at marketing that might not work out for you you might not get any readers but if it's important to you to be able to do things your way at your own pace um to a traditional publisher but it is still important to you to put it out there yeah you know maybe self-publishing is right for you and self-publishing a lot of times is going to be especially helpful to uh people from marginalized communities mm-hmm. um because this the fact remains that it's difficult to get published traditionally if you're not a white dude mm-hmm. um yeah i think um there's a pretty good pretty large amount of queer writing in the self-publishing community just because a lot of the times that is not picked up by traditional publishers it's seen as it's still somehow seen as a sort of niche a like special interest uh genre itself rather than just a piece of work in any particular genre that also happens to be about queer issues yeah, I mean, um, yeah. What does exist, you know? Yeah, it's like like Mary's Press with Dancing Girl uh, mm-hmm. attached to Lavender Review. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a publisher. It's for you know out for 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 women loving women, but uh, it's you know it's it's a lot more niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas like with the Big Five, they might look at your queer romance or whatever and be like, okay, but we already published a queer romance this year. It's completely different in every way to this one, but it's still a queer romance. So to us, it's exactly the same. So we're not going to pick it up. So if you're, so if you're writing queer books, self-publishing might be a good choice for you because you can get it out there. That's, that's, that's the big key of it. Really just figure. And then we'll, we'll talk about the other thing you have to do with self-publishing that you don't necessarily have to do with, Traditional publishing is uh, when you sign like a when you sign a contract with a traditional mm-hmm. publisher. I think I talked about this uh, when I talked about book tours. You don't necessarily sign it and then say, "Okay, the book uh, is going to come out right after I sign this." You might sell the book and then they'll sit on it for a year and release mm-hmm. it when the market is ready for it. Right, um, or you might need to go through several rewrites. Yeah, or... they've got pro- they've got people who yeah. watch the market and prognosticate when the best times are, what the trends are. Um, with indie writing, you know, and Courtney talked about this a little bit too, you have to know what's hot at the time. Yes. Um, so like right now, the really hot things in so in indie publishing, publishing in general in 2018 is uh, female protagonists, mm-hmm. um, sort of challenging status quos, romances is, is always hot, sci-fi is on the rise, Um there's uh and there's also just a really big sort of anti mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. investing heavily in this so that's but you have to keep track of that you have to know what's going to sell when and you know what books sell in september versus march and know when to release things another thing that is a concern with self-publishing is um editorial work yes um I am pretty strongly of the opinion that um, that you should not be the only one editing your work. No. Um, I, maybe it's an unpopular opinion. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, if they're self-publishing, you know, they might be doing it entirely on their own. And they think, well, I'll just do, I'll handle the editing as well. Mm-hmm. And yes, you should put a ton of time into editing your own work. But you need to have at least one other pair of eyes, if not multiple 
other pairs of eyes uh, working on it. Um, because you just stop seeing things when you've been immersed in a piece for years, probably. Um, that, and you might not know what's working and what's not working anymore. Yeah. Um, so, and whether that's, you know, working with, uh, your writing, your local writing group or your online writing group, that's something that self-publishers if- need to put effort and pro- usually money into to yeah. succeed. That-, that will set you out from the multitudes of badly edited ebooks out there yeah well there is uh an argument to be made and i'm sort of of it there's a lot of marketing there's a lot of traditional stuff there's a lot of work you can do with self-publishing that you have to do that you don't do with traditional publishing that can be done for free all it costs is your time but and there's ways to work around it well yes but there's ways to work around it to find money there really isn't a way i think i think that there's if there's anywhere you're gonna have you're gonna spend money when it comes to your your book is editing, um, yes. Because a, uh, you need it, and mm-hmm. b, you, you gotta pay your editors, guys. Yes, pay please, your editors. Please. We don't make much. Pay your we editors, do not make pay, much. and also if you're gonna pay your sensitivity readers or sensitivity consultants, like if you're gonna talk, mm-hmm. if uh, you write, if you if you want to talk to a like I'm I'm writing a a black protagonist one of my books. I'm gonna be saving the money up to ask um, a black. And a black writer, if I, to give me some help with things I have in there, I will pay them for their time. Um, mm-hmm. If you are going to give them a book to read, pay them for the reading of the book. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you're going to have an editor, same deal. Um, now, if you want to work out like a trade, um, Courtney actually traded with her with her new book. Um, she actually did it for another writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both did. They both edited and beta read each other's books, um, and so it. Um, it worked out, and that you know that's a form of pay, and that's fine because writers are poor absolutely. Sell, but yeah. pay them. <laughs> yes, cover design I think is another really big thing yes. that people might not think about until like the last minute. Mm-hmm. Even in traditional publishing, people don't think about it till the last yeah. minute. Um, I put out a lot of books with Slavica, and I was like pushing till the last second, like, "Hey, we need your input on the cover. We need materials for the cover." Um, and the amount of people who just didn't even, like, consider the cover until I bugged them about it was wild to me. Because for me, I would be, like, planning out my cover if I, like, before my book was even done, probably. Like, I don't know. I think that's important. Um, but that's going to be the first thing your reader sees on the Kindle store or whatever is going to be the cover. And if it's a really bad Photoshop job and not a professional-looking cover, I'm going to scroll right by it. Like, you know, you don't want to judge a book by its co- the sorry, you don't want to judge a book by the cover, but you do anyway. It's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's it's not really the same. So yeah. your cover is important, and Courtney talks about her process with it. There's a few different ways to get uh, covers for your books. Um, most of them take the form of sort of a like a bidding process. For freelancers, uh, some are better than others. Make sure you do your research. Make sure that the freelancers are being, uh, again, compensated well. Um, mm-hmm. Look at their portfolios yeah. first before you hire someone. Yeah. Uh, but Courtney had some great – Courtney had a great experience with with uh, with Fiverr. Um, Fiverr. I always said Fiverr. I think she said Fiverr. I don't know what correct. Um, you know, just make sure you're doing everything as ethically as, as, as you can, um, which is another benefit too admittedly to self-publishing is you can't have control over uh the production of your book absolutely 
there is, but there is, um, Aaron Harry is published with a couple different sides of things. D. Alexander Ward has, uh, Mary Miriam and Tara Shea Burke have, you know, it's just sort of wherever your stuff can land. You know, sometimes you'll have stuff that's too weird for traditional publishing and sometimes you won't. So there's no shame in being a hybrid author. Sure. Maybe you're under a pen name or something yeah. for your self-published work. Yeah, very common. Courtney Worley is a author, mother, teacher, business person extraordinaire. She has published multiple series of books. She has published the Persimmon series and the Shadows Inc. series as Cass Alexander, and as well as We're Not Right, a nonfiction story about her relationship with her parents, written with her brother. Her newest book is The Wolf King's Bride, the first in the Fate of Imperium series under the name C.A. Worley. Be back here in a bit. Hey guys, welcome back. My guest this week is a uh, old friend of mine, an old teacher of mine, Courtney Worley, from in- calling in from Indiana. Hello. Courtney has recently published a novel, her first actually under her own name, the first of the Fate of Imperium series titled The Wolf King's Bride. So, uh, and it's a, well, it's a, it's a fantasy romance, right? Right. And your, your romance is generally your, uh, sort of your wheelhouse when it comes to writing. Yes. But I want to go back before we get to that, uh, book, which I do obviously want to talk about. Um, I want to, right now you're a, you're, you're working from home. You're, uh, uh, those, you're, a uh, mother, you're, a, you've worked as an educator. Um, and I'm curious what got you into writing, uh, what, um, made you decide, you know, even if you didn't, even if it was before you got thought about getting published, what really inspired you to start, you know, trying your hand at novels and, or even stories or whatever. So I, I used to write when I was younger. I don't, I don't really tell people that because um, I was a business, I was a business teacher. I scored very high in math and not so high on English standardized exams. Um, but I had a really wild imagination. And I, I think you know this. I went to the Catholic school, and uh, when I was in third grade, I won a young author award for the book I wrote, and it was a it was a horror book. Oh, <laughs> I'm not so sure that the. Uh, the church enjoyed my book, but it did go on to a comp- like a citywide competition. I was really proud of it. Um, and the next year I wrote a book about foster parents who ate their foster children, and that one did not get submitted <laughs> for the competition. <laughs> uh, but I was really proud of that one as well. So uh, I was reading Stephen King at a very young age. My mother did not censor what we got from the library. <laughs> probably should have but that's just where my mind went when I was nine years old and so I always thought I would I would write and I would you know occasionally just write out some short stories by hand and then burn them (laughs) (laughs) and then I went to college and um you know my aptitude is more with numbers I'm more comfortable with numbers and so I studied business and then I taught business and I taught programming and um, I kind of left that part of me go, but I always thought in the back of my mind I would write something someday. Mm-hmm. But people have those things, those some days, 
start to add up. And um, when we moved back here from Charleston in 2016, um, I was 39. And I was like, well, I'm going to hit 40 soon. So why don't I try something? And so I thought, oh, I'll write about teaching. But then the business part of my brain started researching educational books and how well they sold, and they don't sell very well. <laughs> um, and then I'm not surprised, or I wasn't surprised when I found out that the romance uh, market, I mean, it's a $1.1 billion a year industry. And I've read some pretty crappy romance. Yeah. And I, and I remember my, my mother's a voracious reader of all things. She really likes like murder mysteries, but she also reads romance. And I do remember her telling me years ago, oh, you should write one of these. And I just kind of scoffed at it. But I've read some really bad romance and I thought, oh, this industry needs someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no problem or no issues with, uh, with self-worth, Dan, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but I always wanted to do it. And so I sat down, we had just moved back and, and I was unpacking boxes and I was sick of unpacking the house. And I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the classroom because we just moved and I wasn't going to get a job teaching because school's getting ready to start. I thought I'm home right now. I'm going to, I'm just going to try it. So I wrote three novels back to back pretty fast. Uh, it was super easy. I did everything backwards. You know, I, as soon as I finished it, I just threw it out there because <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah. Which is not really what you're supposed to. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, so you you wanted to get you wanted to get back into it, and you kind of jumped in really quickly at this at this you know with this turning point in your life. Uh, but how did you end up deciding to go and you know go through uh, self publishing and going through that process and uh, sort of st- you know sticking with that? So a friend of mine from college. Her mother is an, is a best-selling author on Amazon. Mm-hmm. She only publishes through Amazon. Um, she's, she does time travel romance. Um, she kind of modeled her her storylines. <laughs> they're not the same, but they're similar to um, is it Diana Gabaldon, the Outlander author. No, there's yeah, a series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so she write, she's she kind of emulates that feel of, you know, getting sucked into another world through time. Uh, and she's done quite well at it and she self publishes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I spoke with her a little bit. Um, and she just kind of inspired me to, Hey, may as well just go for it. Yeah. And those, first, those first three novels I wrote that they're full length novels, but I was under no illusion that they were literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know my sense of humor. Yeah. Not exactly. Um, so I I didn't know what to do with them, and I honestly was terrified of showing them to people or of, you know, submitting to a publisher because nobody wants to get turned down, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to give this a go, and I'm just going to try it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So honestly, it was just a really good learning experience. Yeah. And so you started out in romance, as you say, as a sort of economic choice. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, you know, being a business teacher as, as you were, um, and you chose to go with a, to go with, again, with the, with a paranormal romance, but, um, also kind of a comedic slant to the romance. So, uh, 
So that well the the first everything published under my pen name under Cass Alexander, all of those books have humor in them. Mm-hmm. So there's a nonfiction book that's humor. There's the the three they're they're college age kids in the in the, the, my first trilogy. Um, a lot of colorful language. <laughs> Um, and then I wrote four novellas uh, for a series called The Shadow Ink. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are, are, let's just say I wouldn't put those books in my mother's hands. <laughs> yeah, no, just looking at the uh, descriptions. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the Persimmon series is the other, the trilogy of full novels uh, that you've yeah. written. And then, yeah, just to keep things straight for people so they know what... Um, they're going for you know what? Uh, why do you choose to, you know, I you know as you've mentioned as I know, uh, you have a sense of humor, but you know, romance doesn't necessarily as a genre always have a sense of humor. Um, so I'm curious why you chose to sort of take that approach to to the genre. You know why why let you know your humor sort of leak into the point where it's. Uh, a part of the story as much as the, you know, the sex and the everything else. Right. So that first book, um, well, all three of those, all three of the persimmon series are very loosely based on my time at Hanover college. And the characters are totally fictional, but there were a lot of funny things that happened in my life during my college years, like interactions with my family. My father thought I was a lesbian, which is, you know, not really a joke, but like he really believed it, and nobody wanted and nobody wanted to tell me. Mm-hmm. Like I even write about that. That's in the fiction book as a scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then there's a whole chapter dedicated to it in the nonfiction book called something like "Welcome Home, Dad Thinks You're Gay." <laughs> um, and I mean, comedy. I mean, you've been in my classroom. That that's just it's ingrained in my personality. So what I did with that first book. I mean, people do say write what you know, mm-hmm. so I've just thought, okay, I'll be able to crank out a bunch of words if I write some things that I know, which is funny. Uh, and I, I've read some books that were cataloged as um, romantic comedies, and I didn't find them very funny. So I wrote, I wrote it, and I, I laugh at my own jokes. I'm just, I'm not gonna apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think it's really freaking. Funny. Yeah. Um, but the character Rebecca. Uh, I fashioned her a little bit after me. Not, I mean, she's not me, but we have a, we had a similar personality. And I, a lot of those one-liners she threw out are things that I've actually said to people yeah. that I never admit to. But you know what? That's Cass Alexander, and it's all fiction, so it's a safe place to to put that information. Um, but it was easy to write with myself in mind, and like I made. My, if I was her, you know, I was really attractive. <laughs> really smart. <laughs> it really makes you feel good about yourself when you put yourself in a story. Yeah. And it, it and it certainly helps. It probably helped with, you know, having it be your first, uh, you know, your first books you're putting out there, having it be, have yourself be a part of it. That's not surprising. Right. And the, and the funny thing is, I mean, it's free. I made it permanently free. But for a, over a year... It was on Amazon's top 100 in general humor, not in romance, <laughs> which I'm totally okay with. Yeah. And like right now it's like 158 or something, but it, you know, I've had thousands and thousands of downloads of mm-hmm. this. 
um, in the past two years. I think people have gone to it for humor, not <laughs> people. People find it funnier more than they find it sexy. Right. Which, you right. know, you get quote unquote paid either way. So. <laughs> right. So, yes, so. Yeah. Uh, now you want you mentioned briefly um, another book, another a book that is intended to be full on humor, um, <laughs> that you wrote actually in tandem uh, with a fan, with your brother. Um, yes, that is a it's 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 comedy, but it's also nonfiction. Um, yeah. Called "We're Not Right," uh, which was so. Can you tell me a little bit about the genesis of that book? Along, you mentioned a story that's featured in it, but how did that come about, and how did that how did writing that with your brother go? So, I'm going to age myself here a little bit. <laughs> like we didn't have cell phones when I was young. So texting became part of my life in my early 20s, and my family was very, very close-knit, and I, you know, my mom is one of 13 kids. I was the only person in the family of, there's probably 250 of them, because mm-hmm. they're cats. <laughs> uh, I'm the only one who's left the state of Kentucky. They're all within, like, a 30-mile radius. Of yeah. So my brother and I, who are very close, just we're random texters. He'll think like, he'll just say something random. Like, um, I thought of you this morning. It pissed me off or, you know, we, that's, that's how we show our love, but we just do that all the time. And when we have for 20 years and we have this running joke, when we say things that are really bad, you know, about our parents or about someone in the family that if, you know, I die in a terrible car accident, you have to retrieve my phone. Nobody can have access to what we've typed. And then we started making jokes like, yeah, these are so good. We think we're so funny. We should make a book out of it. And then when he said that, I took him seriously. And he, I, he, I hope he hears this. I'm the more responsible of the two <laughs> of us. I really am. And so I thought, okay, this is not going to get written unless I take the reins on it. So um, I started taking our text messages and putting them into this book and then giving him the prompts of what he needed to write. Um, like here, here, you need to give your stance or your side of the story for the time when dad thought I was a lesbian and how you handled that and what you did. To me. <laughs> um, so, so we, we did it on a Google doc. We just had a shared, a shared, uh, document and we took turns writing. Yeah. And it belongs in everyone's bathroom. It's not, it's not something to keep out. Yeah. It goes in the basement guest bathroom. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and that's, uh, so that one, are you, is that something that you, was that sort of just a one-off, it just happened to work out with your brother, you would do that, or is that, like, is that, is that a kind of book that you, you know, you, you enjoy, or that you, you and brother might have some more, uh, ideas for, like, follow-ups? Yes, we do have a couple ideas for some follow-ups, um. I mean, I like to read David Sedaris and like Augusta Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like that kind of style and and the <laughs> honestly reading about other people's quirks and odd families makes me feel better about my own. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm a lover of laughing and I I do laugh at pretty much everything. Yeah. So we thought about because we have lots of texts about parenting. <laughs> We're probably not very good parents. <laughs> Um, 
So we think we think we're going to write a parenting book, but we have to make it very clear that it's not really a parenting. Yeah. Book. <laughs> and what's that? There's one that I read. Uh, it was like how to raise a uh, like how to raise a raging narcissist or something that was um, <laughs> ostensibly a parenting book, but it was really just comedy about like her and like how she parents and how her, she was parented and stuff. So, um. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting. Just don't do shit my quiz bowl team says, or I might have to sue you. Um. <laughs> no, 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 it'll be parenting. Like, like, here's how you teach your kids to control, or here's how you teach your kids how to control their impulses. Like, my father said some crazy shit. <laughs> and I just want to write it all down, but I don't want him to sue me, so we haven't really figured out <laughs> how to do that. And I want to call the book Tiger Dad, because that's what we call oh, it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, wait till he passes. Yeah, well, yeah, no, uh, you should uh, definitely. Yeah, we we've had some interesting. Uh, we interviewed, we spoke with. Uh, uh, oh God, why am I drawing a blank suddenly? Leslie and Newman. I'll edit that out. So with Leslie and Newman, and she also uh, writes a lot on her parents as a poet, um, and has a complicated relationship with them, much more seriously. Uh, than you did, but it's always interesting to hear when people talk about their parents and their writing. Yeah. Um. So, but let's go to the present now. Your okay. new book, The Wolf King's Bride, um, when came out. When was that? It came out. September came 10th. out in September. Um, September tenth, and then the sequels coming soon as well. November 26th. Wow, that's quick. Uh, did you write them at the same time, or you just were really quick on the follow-up? No, uh, I was. I, I can write fast. If I... I'm looking around to see if my kids are nearby. <laughs> if my kids leave me alone for a little bit. Um, no, I can write pretty fast. So, as long as I have the, the story in mind, and what I do is that I made an outline of the whole series... Um, a long time ago, and I, I actually had started The Wolf King's Bride over a year ago, and I only got a couple chapters into it, and then had um, some things in life, like, take up time, and I just couldn't get to it, mm -hmm. and then I read some really awesome fantasy books, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back and finish that book, so I wrote, I wrote the book, I finished it probably in four weeks, um, and then... I started the second one, and I probably probably five weeks it took me to write the second one. The second one's harder because the main character is kind of an a hole. Yeah. But, um, wow, you're writing fast and you can do math. You're making the rest of us look bad. Stop it. Um, you're setting a bad example uh, well, for I the publishers. Right <laughs> <laughs> I have time, and September is my time yeah. because. My part-time job, my textbook publisher doesn't need me this month. He needs me next mm -hmm. month, so uh, I got to utilize this time to get it done. Yeah. Uh, actually, I want to talk about that. I you mentioned I didn't know you, you did that, but um, talking about, you mentioned that when you were in the, working on this, you mentioned reading fantasy books and that kind of made you finish it. Uh, was that what sort of led you to decide to – switch to a more fantasy centered book. Um, I understand, I, th I understand it's still 
has elements of romance, but it's much more of a fantasy novel. Why why did you decide to transition um, out of where so, you were? I Well, I wanted to publish something under my real name. And I, I do love fantasy. I mean, I love Harry Potter. I love, I read, I mean, I read The Hobbit when I was, was way too young to read it. I'd understand half of it. Um, so my mother got me a picture book so I would understand what was going on. <laughs> and I was scared to death of Gollum. Um, but I had read, I don't know if you've ever heard of A Court of, of Thorns and Roses. Um, I read that. I think I have. I think my co-host has. <laughs> Yes, and it it was very interesting. It was kind of a a, a retelling of, of a fairy tale, and I just I've always I like all almost all genres, um, but I really just wanted a change from the comedy, and I honestly just wanted to challenge myself to see if I could do something a little more serious, mm-hmm. um, and something that my mother would probably. Read. <laughs> And feel comfortable telling her Catholic sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are moments in there that she she might not appreciate, but but it's it's far more tame than than Cass Alexander's books. Yeah. And so it was an exercise in or a labor of love, and I just wanted to do it, and I did it. And for me, you know, a business teacher, uh, I think I did a pretty good job for my first time trying to take something seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, it's good to see that you've, you feel the growth there and, um, you know, it's always good to jump around and no one likes to get pigeonholed. Um, what can you tell me about, right. can you, can you tell me a little bit about the, uh, the book itself, the sort of, what the sort of, story is or maybe just about maybe what the what the characters are like so it's the first book in a trilogy um and each each book center centers around a different sister so the land it's a land of imperium that's the name of the it's this continent that nobody knows about it's you know hidden in a in a mist and kellen is the wolf king of the north Mm -hmm. he's the the hero of the story um and he is betrothed i'm very interested in arranged marriages i've read a couple historical pieces mm-hmm. the past couple years and it's a little infuriating <laughs> 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 to read about the history of arranged marriages and how those turn mm-hmm. out but i mean you know, i'm interested in them uh and and but in the the premise is that you know wolves mate for life and they the, the animalistic component of I just accept this and it, it is what it is and I'll be with this person and love this person forever. Only his mate is not a wolf, and she doesn't feel the same. Is is so is he a wolf? He is a wolf. Like well, he I mean he can turn into a wolf. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure if this was like a um, Beauty and the Beast or or like a Cat Return situation or what. Okay. Uh, no, he's like a he's like a. a oh, okay. There that works. Okay, but yeah, but he has that wolfiness even when he's a person. Right, right. So he has this, he's drawn to her and he knows, but the, you know, the, the original problem is that she's a child when he first meets her, so he, he goes back to the north and leaves her to grow up um, in the west. And so when she turns 20, they marry, and he's very excited, and he thinks he has everything he wants. He brings his beautiful wife home. Um... But they're, 
there is a little bit of drama <laughs> and some suspense because there is this brotherhood um, that has existed as far as they know from the beginning of Imperium whose sole purpose is to to make sure there's a balance of power. There's four kingdoms in, in Imperium mm-hmm. and so Nora's father is the king of the West and so by her taking the throne in the north that family will control half of the land and so there are people who are not okay with that so there is an attempt on her life and and a lot of it is the struggle of coming to terms with um with being married to him with being in danger and he's very Mm high-handed it's it has a medieval feel to Mm -hmm. it i mean do as i tell you to do little woman yeah which i really don't like (laughs) But how people have to work through that because there's no way out of this mating or this marriage. Yeah. So, um, so it and it has a happy ending and there's no cliffhanger. Um, but the the second book shifts into you know these people who tried to kill Nora and are still alive, mm-hmm. but now they're gonna go after another sister. And so, it's the three sisters, but they're and so it follows. Looks like it follows three different kings. Are they yes. roughly cr- happening chronologically, or? Um... Yes, there's a there's overlap. Okay. Which is not easy to write. I have I had to write out multiple timelines and. Yeah. Now, did you do all of that in like a notebook, or do you have? Uh, are you do you use like a software? Or... I I handwrite it. Okay. I have a, I have pencil because I'm constantly adding in things in between other things, and I originally was going to chart it out because you know me, <laughs> I love Excel. Yeah. Um, but then I was erasing so much. I ended up just doing it by on paper. I have a folder with tons of notes and I like having the story open in front of me while I write my things by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be kind of a double duty, but there is something to be said for doing things by hand. Yeah. I remember more of the timeline line because I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah you, know, you definitely engage with it more when it's like that. Um, uh, people make all these programs and stuff that do things, but you, you know it's hard to beat that. Right. Uh, talk. We'll talk a little bit about working in, as a self-published author and working through Amazon. And you know, you said you did some research into it and spoke with people who had success on there. Um, are there what are some of the are there some things you've had to do uh, when you've been working as a published as with a sort of author that you didn't expect or that uh, might be a, is a little bit different from when people think of publishing what they might have to do if they were self published. So when you self publish, unless you have the money to pay people to you know handle your releases or do marketing for you, it it's really up to you. You do everything and it, it can be a full-time job just maintaining your social media and trying to connect with readers that honestly, that's been the hardest part. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't have a platform at all when I wrote that first novel, but I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, it, it's a learning process. And the thing with self-published authors is it just, it just, everything just takes longer because you don't have that machine behind you, um, with already that ha- already having 
you know, 200,000 readers on a newsletter who's going to get your, your book in front of their faces. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to do that. So I've spent a ton of time reading articles and um, looking at data and what, what kinds of ads work because I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I am not dumping thousands of dollars in, into marketing. Yeah. I would rather go get one reader at a time. And that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, and I don't mind that. Yeah. So it, it seems like uh, there's a lot of research that's gone into being a self-published author that people don't necessarily think of having to do when they're getting their books published. Right. Um. How does how does editing work? I know with with when you've got something published uh, through a you know through an agent or something, you, usually you'll go through an editor to get it polished up. But is that something that you um, that you do, or do you do you do you have an editor you work with? Or so when I I have I have a, a fellow author who helps me out, but I um, with my first publications. I'm sorry, with all the Cass Alexander publications, um, I I did everything myself. And then I had a friend who was a teacher who tried to proofread for me. Um, and it, So if you read them, there might be typos. <laughs> but uh, I didn't really care enough to go back and, and fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're fine because there was another set of eyeballs on them. Um, but this time I... I was more diligent. And again, I didn't want to, I'm not willing to fork over a lot of money to pay for an editor. Yeah. So I have, um, like a beta reader, um, someone who can like see if the storyline makes sense or if it's confusing. Mm-hmm. And it's just another author that she also needed a beta reader. And so we, we just help each other out. Yeah. how do you, how did you find your beta reader? Uh, she actually found me. Uh, I think I was having a discussion on Twitter about what a pain in the ass it was. <laughs> How much I hated editing. Like, editing is the worst. I feel like once you write the story, it should just be done. But then if you go back two months ra- later and read it, then you realize, oh, yeah. <laughs> None of this makes sense. Yeah. Um, but she she just saw the thread I had going, and she reached out to me. She messaged me, and she said... Um, she needed she needed help too and didn't want to fork over the money for it if, if I'd be interested and so we just trade off mm. and then yeah. and then sticking with the uh, with this question of you know the extra steps you have to jump through how does uh, the design and the and, and the cover art especially how does that how has that worked when getting that figured out for your uh, for your books um so the nonfiction book, I made the cover. It's a picture of a text my brother actually sent me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the cover's pretty simple. I did that on Canva, which is free if you're not using any of their um, stock art. Yeah. For the covers of the romance novels, um, I went on Fiverr. Have you ever used Fiverr or seen Fiverr? F-I-V-E-R-R? Uh, I think I've heard of it. It's a it's a wonderful place. It's a marketplace where um, designers can come in and say, you know, for five dollars I'll get you a stock image. For ten dollars I'll do this. For fifteen I'll do this. They just have all these op- options, and you can pick and choose. 
what you want and you can see their portfolio. Uh, Fiverr handles the money transactions so you don't have to worry about, you know, your funds going off to some Russian oligarch. Is <laughs> <laughs> not going to give you uh, your book. Um, but uh, this, I don't know if you've seen the cover for the new one. I, I think it's gorgeous. It's the best book cover I've, I've had. Oh yeah, it is. It is very um, yeah. It's beautiful. It's. It, I mean, I could not make this, and I'm good at, on computers. But she did wonderful, and it, she's an artist. Uh, I think she's from the Ukraine, Ooh. and she only. It was twenty five dollars, and then I had to pay ten dollars for um, the stock photo. And I honestly had some guilt that you're only going to charge me $35 for this. I think I need to give you a huge tip. Yeah. Uh, because covers are not cheap. Mm -hmm. No. And she, and she does it. She did it in three days. Oh, wow. So, yes. It's a wonderful place for people who, who are on a budget. Who just And it's not just covers. They'll do um, advertising for you. There are people who will ghostwrite for you on there. Like You can go purchase <laughs> a book. Yeah. Um, name on it, which is a little weird. Right. But there's all kinds of things. I will say, just as a aside, don't go straight on Fiverr. Um, no, don't, don't do that. that. Uh, don't no. don't go straight on like any freelancing platform that you won't make it the money you deserve for it. Um, no. <laughs> no, you won't. It's a trap. Um, yeah, but get, you can get good cover art. You can. <laughs> uh, so. One thing I want to talk about, and we've you've mentioned it a few times, uh, is you've written under two names. Uh, yeah. And so you alluded to the fact that you sort of went under Cass Alexander for your earlier work because it wasn't really something that you uh, were super comfortable tying your name to quite yet. Right. Uh, why sort of quote unquote come out now. You've you've unequivocally obviously uh come out as Cass Alexander and now written a book under your name. Uh you know, why why the change and why uh sort of remove that separation? So this because this book is not humor, I did not want to put it out there under Cass Alexander and then you know the people who read the Persimmon series who are expecting some really terrible language. Princes <laughs> read it and like this is about a werewolf, and so because um, it's total fantasy, and the, and it's a more serious tone than the other books. And I did not want to piss off any readers. First of all, um, second of all, you know I was really proud of this one. I mean I'm proud that I published the other books, but this one. This one's like, hey, look what I did. And so I wanted to own it. And I I have the name C.A. Worley on there because it kind of fits with Cass Alexander, even though my name is Courtney Ann. Mm -hmm. So my initials. Um, but part of the reason why I use initials is it's unisex. Mm -hmm. So and people do judge books by their cover. Yeah. Research that they absolutely do. Mm -hmm. I had. Like just on this cover alone, I'm sure I've had because I've had more downloads for this book than all my other books the whole month combined, and I guarantee a big part of that is because of what they see on the cover. Um, but Courtney's a relatively long first name, and Courtney Worley doesn't fit very well in big font. Yeah. On the cover. 
I'm a bit of a narcissist, Dean. <laughs> no, and, and but it does, as you say, it puts you in that. Uh, it it sounds like a fantasy author's name, um, right? And uh, yeah, and there's a lot of fan, especially there's a lot, mo- a lot of women fantasy authors have done that. I mean, that's what Rowling did, and she did right. pretty well. So, um. <laughs> This is not the next <laughs> Hey, never say never. Remember, you can do math and use Excel, so you're a step above most other authors. Um, so uh, talk, I'm going to finally finish out by talking a little bit about um, you know, the balance of things. Um, like a lot of writers who get back into the game of writing uh, as, as adults, as parents, you're balancing a lot of stuff. Um, and you know, in the past, you worked as a as a as a as a teacher. Um, but you know, you you're you've now you're doing other stuff. You're working uh, in uh, textbook publishing. Um, how has your current work, or even maybe your past work, uh, has it affected your writing, uh, or how you think about your writing? So, in terms of I don't even know if this is style, if that's the right word. I've had to really work on not being passive. So business writing is very succinct. You know, it's it's sharp, it's to the point, it's crisp. You don't need extra details. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I've always taught children to do in my classes. Um, and I didn't. I, you can't have a passive voice of, you know, this was this which is the shortest way to say it. Um, so I I have a decent vocabulary, but I don't use it in my everyday language. And so I really had to, to pull deep and get out of that nonfiction business style and, and think about the books that I enjoyed reading and what those sounded like and how did I want to sound. Um, and in terms of, of the time management when going through the writing process, uh, it goes in spurts. Like I could stand at my computer for eight hours and just type until I have to stop. Mm-hmm. Next day, like this weekend, I'll be with my oldest son who played, he's, th- can you believe Griffin's 13? Oh, good. <laughs> my oldest son is 13. And he he's on a travel soccer team and we're going to be gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday to a tournament in Ohio. And... You know, I'll take my laptop with me, so if I get an hour before we go to bed on Saturday, I might be able to type a little bit. But it's got, it has to go in chunks. I just have to be diligent about when, when those times pop up. Yeah. I have to do And I honestly, because I do work for a textbook publisher, I kind of have to flip my frame of mind when I open up the fiction writing. Mm-hmm. It's... It's, I'm like Beyonce on stage where I just take on this whole other persona. You know? Like Beyonce, humble as ever, yeah. humble as ever, Worley. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, you, so you, you work with a textbook publisher. Has that, is that something that's, um, has that given you any sort of, idea of 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 publishing uh in a broader sense like how it's not obviously the same but um has have any is any of your writing uh affected your work there or uh learned anything about publishing while working that job uh i i have learned i mean number one just how big 
publishers are and just how far their tentacles can reach. And I don't mean that in a negative way because there are some excellent publishers out there. Um, but the nature of, of who I work for, I deal with all educational yeah. materials. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it hasn't really influenced me, Yeah. but I'm just kind of boggled by the business side of it mm -hmm. and how, how efficient they can be and just how huge they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, that's why it's, it's daunting when you get traditionally published and then it's also double daunting when you're not and you're doing all right. that work on your own, you know, and you see they've got yeah. like departments of people to figure out textbook, to figure covers out. Right. Um, they might still use underpaid people in Ukraine, but they have a whole department doing it. <laughs> hey, I tipped her really, really well. <laughs> no, no, I'm, 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 I, I felt guilty. No, you're, I, you're fine. It's, it's you probably paid better than a big company would anyway. Um, yes. so yeah. Uh, how do you, so you, you work from home. Is it ever tempting to, uh, do you, do you write while you work? Um, and, oh, no. or do you, uh, uh, do you just sort of, do you keep things pretty delineated even though you're just at home? I can separate things pretty easily. Okay. So like if I had like, sometimes I, I have to annotate portfolios and that takes like, like 20 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just, I'll just set a schedule like, okay, I'm going to give five hours today to, to my annotation and then um, I'm going to cut off and just do one hour of either social media or marketing or, or writing. Mm -hmm. um, but you, ha I have to really tie myself to that clock because I only have a finite amount of time because when my kids get home off the bus, then I have to wear the mommy hat. Mm -hmm. and so my evening starts at like three. Yeah. That's when <laughs> so. Uh, so we are running close to time but i do want to ask if you have any any tips or advice people who are wanting to self-publish whether they're you know young and and starting out or even or people who might be in a more in a similar situation who are you know adults or moms who want to uh want to start out and try their hand at publish at at get at writing as well so I think the biggest obstacle, aside from everything that comes after publishing the book, the, the biggest obstacle is just forcing yourself to take the chance and, and to, to do it, to get something on paper. Mm -hmm. Because once I, once Real Me <laughs> announced on Facebook that I had published this book, I had people respond in the comments. I had private messages sent to me. Oh, I always wanted to do that. Or I, I have this story idea. And what do you think of this? And so many people have great stories in their heads and they just sit on them because it is scary to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just a matter of get something down. And the more you write, the better you get. And I think because I wrote the, those, those books under Cass Alexander, even though this book is completely different, my writing is better. And I would never consider myself, quote unquote, a writer, but it made a huge difference in thinking through a story, through the plot, through how you word things. So just get it down is the first obstacle. Yeah. 
And that seems to tie into the sort of motto that you've uh, got on your website of uh, be brave. Yes. Um, that I really like. I think it's something that um, is important for authors, whether you're wanting to self-publish or just uh, or even be traditionally published. Like I know a lot of um, our listeners uh, are look at as well. Um, and so you're currently working on the uh, final chapter in the fate of Imperium, uh, which will be due out next year. Correct. Right. Uh, is there anything else? That you've got in the works? Have you started thinking about another series or going trying to go back to comedy? Or I've, I've got another series um, started. I've got probably 11,000 words written in the first book. Um, it is comedy, but it's also fantasy. <laughs> so I could feel like I can be more of my... I, it's probably going to be released under Cass Alexander because the, lang- the language is also very colorful, as is the theme for my other book. <laughs> Um, but but it it is fantasy, um, maybe more of an urban fantasy because she lives in real time. And guess where she's from? She's from Kentucky. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I started that one, and that one I think is going to be fun to write. Yeah. But I got to finish the series first. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's the biggest mistake any writer can make is try to if they try to write all their ideas at once and nothing gets written. Right. Uh, where can uh, where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you on social media or uh, tell you how much they love their you'll love your books or or however it might happen? Um, well, my home address. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. I have a Cass Alexander handle. I um, I have a C A Worley author handle. Mm-hmm. I have Facebook pages. Cass Alexander books. And then CA Worley author Facebook page. Um, I do have Instagram, but I really haven't figured out. Inst- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know how to use it. I, haven't, <laughs> I mean, I, I know how to program a computer. I can use Instagram, but I haven't figured out the uh, strategy for it yet. But um, Twitter and Facebook would be the, the best ways. And I, I do have two blogs going, um, but. I think the easiest way to find me is through Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. And your books can be found basically anywhere you, Amazon, anywhere you can find basically yes, books. Yes. Yes. And, and, and they're both, uh, you can get them, they're electronic. You can also get them physically as well, the paperback. Right. I, I have, there's ebooks and there's, and I have things in print. Okay. That's very cool. And, uh, yeah. Well, um, again, thanks for, uh, Thanks for coming on and talking about uh, your experience. Um, we're the for I think you're one of the first self-published people we've had on. Awesome! Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah, uh, and you know we'll and keep us updated as things go along, and uh, you know maybe we we can talk more in the future. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you liked that interview as always you can find links and and information in the show notes and in the description of this episode to coordinate work now we'd like to talk about publishing for a little while for a little bit more uh but this time just the 
opportunities for publishing from not sketchy publishers and not <laughs> sketchy literary journals. Um, I would like to say, though, something I wanted to say, uh, you will see on sometimes on, on Submittable and a few other things, you'll see these uh, contests that are really, really cool that are uh, themed around like a lot of really neat ideas of sci-fi and fantasy and horror. And they're from this uh, press called Zimbel House, uh, Zimbel, Z-I-M-B-E-L-L. Uh, and they are actually a a vanity press like author solutions um and usually with that that is a uh overpriced contest that basically gets you published in a nothing throwaway anthology so a lot of literary magazines are doing that um some don't but a lot of them have a contest fee that's not quite the same as paying to have your work published that is something that's covering their costs yeah, and uh, usually, in you, terms of running the contest, paying their marketing people, things like and that. Always, um, it's generally a small fee. And always read proportionality with that. It's usually, I mean, like my literary journals charging like three bucks to, by the way, uh, Microcosmos is having a contest for poetry and, and fiction right now uh, that mm. pays and the fee is only $3, uh, but it, um, and the pay is uh, like 250 150 and then like $100 for poetry and fiction. And they, we charge that, but it's only three dollars, um, and that's usually the, the highest we'll reference on here for pay. We try to avoid pay journals just because mm-hmm. it's difficult, um, right? Um, you know, and then you just, and you, you can tell if it's a, if it's high, and you look at the journal, and they don't seem to really think they're worth that much. Like some really high level journals, you know, I understand like Tin House or something, but um, if they seem like they're not worth twenty dollars, and they're not worth twenty dollars. Right. And while some journals and contests will charge you, sometimes justifiably, sometimes others not so much, the other one we try to feature this week, these are all free. The first one being from the Seattle Review, their double issue, 11, 1 and 2. Their reading period goes till October 1st. Try to get in as early as possible as they do fill. Uh, They only publish long poems, novellas, and essays. Niche, very niche. Yes, uh, this is a independent journal, originally founded at in, at a university in Seattle, now independent. Poetry has to be at least ten pages in length. Wow. Prose has to be at least forty double spaced pages in length. That includes, and they also accept essays. A long poem. Can, How many people are writing ten page poems? Well, it can be a single long poem in its entirety. So if you want to get like you know get your epic, you know, epic going, a excerpt from a book length poem because there's a lot of those out there. Or, probably the most logical one, a unified sequence or series of poems. Mm. They don't do genre fiction or visual art. Contributors receive two copies of the issue in which their work appears. So if you write in that, in that length of, of writing, um, up from 40 to 90 pages of fiction or nonfiction and 10 pages or more of poetry, then check this out. Uh, that is really something uh, you don't see very much. Yeah. Should never freaking see. Yeah, no one wants them. Yeah, no one wants them, uh, but they're interesting. Yeah, no, pre- pre- generally people like have, like, you can submit multiple poems, but they can only be a page long. And- yeah, the people I know who accept, like, yeah, long poetry for people who are, like, absurdly into Beowulf. And people who are just right. like, I'm going to write a ten-page epic about elves <laughs> and Yes, yes, I, I, I've done that. Uh, it wasn't good. Um, it's, it's you. We're me. talking about that. It's me. But uh, I haven't seen it in like a more not horrifically nerdy sense. So that's really cool. <laughs> uh, and so I am really happy to talk about Seattle Review. I actually really want to have them on the show now. Uh, the yeah, next one is another brand new. Last uh, week, 
last episode we f- focused on homology, homology. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out then. I can't figure it out now. <laughs> uh, that then was a uh, queer magazine. This new one is cereal, like the podcast, not the breakfast food. S C R I A L. It is a pulp fiction genre fiction, which is rare. Fun. Um, because genre fiction is just weird. Um, action, adventure, fantasy, horror, mystery, thrillers, romance, and science fiction. The first issue goes on sale January 1st of 2019 and then moves to a bi-monthly publication schedule, like the podcast. Their goal, they say, is to publish brain candy, pure, unadulterated fun. Now, for submissions, uh, they're looking for really just something exciting. Uh, Nothing explicit with sex, nothing that's, you know, got slurs in it. You can use, like, fantasy slurs. If you make up fantasy slurs, it's like for allegorical purposes, that's fine. And also make sure that it's something that young adults can read. So, you know, don't get too wild with the gore. Yeah, and they they really just want a positive, they want positive Pulp Fiction. So don't be sending your depressing stuff in. Be all sad. Don't be Dan. No sadness. Uh, they want short stories of between 500 to 10,000 words. Um, not as not as common these no, days. No, that's very uh it's very oh it's very pulp fiction. It's very mid century or you know, Victorian. The chunk or chapter of your fiction has to be between seventy five hundred and ten thousand words. Um it's what you aim for. They want two chunks of your story plus the outline with about an estimate for how many left, um, at least one chunk a month. Um, and each chunk should end in a quote mild to extreme cliffhanger. Mild to extreme for serial mystery, horror, and thriller, they would like an extremely thorough outline that includes every red herring, scare, twist, etc. They want to know how you're going to keep the suspense going. If you're doing romance, it doesn't have to have a happily, happily ever after. They love unexpected endings, melodrama, or even romance that switch genres halfway through. Of course, they take a traditional romance as well, but they want you to have fun with it. They also will take black and white illustrations and comics because, I mean, that's the aesthetic. Like, these guys have an aesthetic, they're dedicated to it, and I respect them for it. They are. Another bonus to this is if you like what they're doing like they are accepting positions for part-time or voluntary on the team as illustrators uh, marketers administrative remotely uh editing so if you want to help out them well with any of those roles check them out help them out get this publication going. and it'd be cool to see it do well now especially for genre fiction finally uh the last one is actually three that are coming up two of them are a bit farther off yeah, but we wanted to let you know about all of them at once in case you have stuff that you're still working on uh, that might be ready by, you know. Yeah, she is, a, I think she's a, um author and editor herself, um, and she does a lot of, she seems to do a lot of um, various genre anthologies that she edits. Um, and she gets, you know, there's some really good reviews of it, so it's, it's, it's sort of yeah. like, she, I mean, she's basically running a small press under her own name. Yeah. Um, so I'll go, I'll go ahead and tell you a bit about those. Um, this first one I won't get too deep into because I believe we've covered it uh, before, actually, a couple episodes ago, but I'll go ahead and mention it again. Um, so, yeah, Rhonda Parrish, she has a couple of anthologies coming up, um, one we've gone over before. The Grim Grit, um, the gri- the, the grim grit and Gristle, Diesel Punk and Gristle Punk Fairy Tale. Yeah, yeah that, that deadline is, uh, just a quick reminder, that's coming up in just a few days. Um, the first one is Earth. Giants, golems, and gargoyles. Um, I'll read a little bit of the description. Keep your feet on the ground. Sink in roots. Stay grounded. Mother Earth, we come from dust, and to dust we shall return. Um, 
So she says, I want to explore the many facets of this often underestimated element and the creatures associated with it. So uh, it will be filled with stories of every kind of earthy creature you can imagine, not only those listed in the subtitle, looking for trolls, dwarves, dragons, goblins, ogres, orcs, uh, earthen beasts no one has heard of before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just saw that as soon as I was like, okay. Um, um, yes, she does And pay. a copy of the anthology. Um, February 28th, 2019. So you've got some time to work on this one if you, if this maybe inspires you to work on a story um, or pick up a, rework an old story. You have some time to get it ready to submit. She wants things under 7,500 words. No simultaneous submissions. Yeah, that's about it. that one. Um, so Earth monster themed giants golems gargoyles kind of fantasy sort of thing but maybe not necessarily fantasy you know it seems pretty open to interpretation the other one that she has coming up that looks really fun is called swashbuckling cats nine lives on the seven seas which is the most specific theme i've ever heard and as soon as I saw it in our outline, I was like, Dan, you have to let me talk about swashbuckling <laughs> cats. Dan, I have to. Um, anthology of full of feisty felines on the high seas. I want pirate cats and viking cats, submariner cats and explorer cats. Um, a wild rollicking ride complete with sword fights, sea monsters, treasure hunting, discovering new worlds, and lots and lots of kitties. So I'm not saying that she's looking for uh, warrior cats on a boat. But it sounds like warrior cats. <laughs> but she's kind of looking for warrior cats on a boat. <laughs> um, so send her your warrior cats fanfic. I yeah, guess. just make sure it's wet and uh, aquatic, and you're good. Also pays same as the other fifty do- Canadian dollars. Yeah, June through July of 2019. 2019 length nine thousand words or under. Again, no simultaneous submissions. Uh, no reprints. Standard stuff. This one's actually being. Um, this one's actually being published through a. Publisher through uh, Taika yes, Books. Yes, Taiki Books. Taika. Whatever. Um, and yeah, she's editing it. Yeah. Guest editing or something, I presume. Yeah. So yeah, those look like really fun opportunities. Um, and you've got plenty of time to think about them. And you know, Yeah. When the deadlines are getting a little closer, we'll just drop a quick note about it. Or I'll post a link on the Facebook or something like that. Yeah, it's a, that it, might be it's a, a real idea, change of actually. pace. You don't have the uh, like uh, two-day turnaround like most of our publication right, references. Right, yeah, that we... Yeah, well, yeah. Why? Why do you not have a novel ready? Why don't have a novel ready for this today? What What are you doing with your life? Yeah. 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 This is on you. It's not me. We're not. I'm not dropping the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and if if you if uh, if anybody has any publications that they are a part of or they want to want us to talk about, please tell us. Please email us. We'll be happy to talk to. Talk about them on yes. the podcast and even bring them on to discuss. That's how we got to know people like Aaron uh, through discussing these literary journals. Yeah, I know. If you want to you wanna plug your up-and-coming journal, we're the place to do it. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise, that is it for this episode. Be sure right. to follow us on Twitter on at Writing Survivor and like us on Facebook at the Writing Survivor Podcast for show notes, news, links to everything, to Courtney's work. Uh, you can follow us. You can go to our website, artist5cast.com, as well as sign up for our newsletter. Uh, you can re- rate and review us on iTunes and um, any other podcasting uh, app, presumably. But iTunes is really the big one. Um, but not only does, you know, attention like rating and reviews. So we're open. We would love to hear your thoughts. Um, love to get a dialogue going. And um, yeah, good ratings don't hurt. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. 
So, Bridget, where if we wanted to uh, talk with you, if we wanted to find you online, where 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 are you uh, where are you usually creeping around? I'm active on our social media on Facebook and um, Tumblr on Twitter at Bridget L. Phillips. Uh, you can find my website with my uh, portfolio and stuff um, at BridgetLPhillips.com. Um, and that is about it. Find me on Twitter at, at DanArtWrites. You can follow my writing on the Fundamentals. You can also listen to this episode if you're so inclined or where you're already listening to Thank it. Thank you, Fundamentals, <laughs> for hosting us. Email me at dan at thefandamentals.com if you uh, ever want to talk to me that way as well. For further information on where to find us, as well as the podcast, as well as ways to get, you know, if you want to talk to Celia and try to get her to, you know, come out of hell, then <laughs> you can also go to the website and find all, all the information and more, possibly too much information about us to put, put online uh, at that website. And uh, be sure to check out the other shows on the Fundamentals. Yes, There's a lot of fantastic nice. stuff on there. Otherwise, don't forget to check everything out as well as our links. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Until then, we will see you next month and always. Did you hear something? I'm scared. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.